Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Have you ever forgotten something very important before? I, uh, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and so when a lot of youth pastors get together, you tell, you tell war stories. It's probably the same thing in whatever profession you're in. When you get around a bunch of people that do the same kind of thing that you do, you just kind of tell those stories that, that nobody else would really get, that nobody else would really understand. And so when we get together, you know, we would, we would swap stories of all these, you know, like failures that we had, the success that we had, and then, of course, all the weird, funny things. And one time, this youth pastor friend of mine who's been, who had been doing it for a really long time, uh, he was on a trip from uh, the Pennsylvania Cola area back to his church uh, in, in Jacksonville. And they were on I-10 right there in the panhandle where there's absolutely nothing. You ever been on that part of the panhandle? There is nothing but interstate and trees. It just all looks the same for about forever, it feels like. And so, um, you know, they were, they were driving through. They had two vans full of students heading home on a Saturday night after an event that was a Friday-Saturday event. They're on their way back. One of the vans started messing up, giving them trouble. And they realized that they were not gonna make it home with the van in the condition that it was. And so they were just hoping that they could limp by to get to the next exit before they would have to figure out what they were gonna do with all these kids. They were hours from home, and so they were gonna have to figure something out. And so Saturday night, they see the lights at an exit coming up, and they know that if they don't get off at this exit, they're gonna get stranded on the side of the road somewhere. So both the vans pull off. The, the one that kind of limps in and just kind of, you know, barely makes it into a parking spot, and they stop it. And, and it just happens to be that this place they stop is a gas station and a service station, and so they're thinking they lucked out. But Saturday night in the panhandle of Florida, that, that service station has been closed since Friday at probably two o'clock, you know what I'm saying? And so there was nobody there to help them with any parts or help them fix this thing, and so they have got enough students and leaders to fill up two vans, and they have one van. And so this youth pastor's scratching his head trying to figure out what he's gonna do to get all these kids back home. It's Saturday night, they're hours away, even if somebody could come and get them and bring them back, it'd be way early into the morning by the time they got back there and they had to be at church the next day. And so as he's, as he's thinking, he looks out in the parking lot and he sees a U-Haul truck out in the parking lot. And he asked the lady behind the counter, he said, hey, what's the story with that U-Haul out there? And she said, well, we rent, we rent U-Hauls as well. That's the only one that we have in stock. And he said, I'll take it. He didn't even ask how much it cost. He said, I'll take it. And so he goes outside, he gets his group together. This is no lie. Gets his group together and says, okay, all the girls get in the van. Just go in the van, all right? All the guys, he rolls up the door, get in the U-Haul. <laughs> guys, that's like a dream come true, right? When you were a teenage guy, if somebody did not put you in the octagon, but they put you in an enclosed cube where there was no adult supervision at all, that was like the dream come true, you know what I mean? Because no leader is going to be crazy enough to get back there with them. And so it was just a bunch of teenage guys in the back of this U-Haul. And so they closed the door on them. My buddy got in the driver's seat, and there was another leader with them, and they just started down the road hoping and praying that they would make it in time. Now, this was many, many years ago, and this was not me. This is not one of those stories where, like, a friend of mine, but it was really me. It was not me. When I was the youth pastor here, I did not put your kids in a U-Haul on purpose, okay? <laughs> I thought about it a couple times, but... And so they're riding down the road, and it is like, I mean, as soon as they get back on the interstate, the, they say that the U-Haul is just boom, boom, because these guys are slamming each other up against the walls on the inside of this thing. And I mean, they're just going crazy back there. They're loving it. The youth pastor is like, all right, I think I dodged a bullet on this thing. Let's just get home with no problem, no complications, and we're in good shape. And all of a sudden, he looks in the side mirror, and way off in the distance are the red and blue lights flashing. And he's like, I am going to jail forever. 
I don't know what the technical term would be for getting arrested for having like 13 teenage guys in the back of a U-Haul in, in like the panhandle of Florida, but I'm pretty sure it's something that'll send you to like federal penitentiary, right? That's, that's a big one, you know? And so he's freaking out and, and he's just like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do something. And the only thing that he can think to do is he just pulls over as fast as he can. He's trying to get over to the side of the road before that cop gets up too close. And he slides open that little door to the back part of that box truck. And he says, everybody get out. And so all of the guys jump out like, like some kind of like commando SWAT team something. And you know, there's nothing but woods right there on I-10 and they just run and they're just jumping and diving into the woods, you know? And so finally the cop car gets up there and they was, the back of the truck was empty by the, by the time the car got there. They slammed the door shut. He got back in the driver's seat. He's huffing and puffing. The officer walks up, you know, and he, and he does the, the classic officer thing. He says, do you know why I pulled you over? And he's thinking, yeah, I know why you pulled me over. I'm a fugitive, apparently. I mean, you know. And so he said, no, officer, I have no idea. That's, that's a lie. That's a lie. And he did that, but it, it, he was trying to save his own skin, basically. And so he said, no, I have no idea why you pulled me over. And he goes, uh... You forgetting something? He said, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think we were forgetting anything. And at that time, he's looking out the, the mirror, that side mirror of his car back at the cop car. And there's another officer that gets out of the car and opens up the back door of the cop car. And out of the back door of this cop car comes one of his students that he forgot at the gas station a couple of miles back in the road. And so he's like, I'm going to double jail now. And so he, he says, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, they were with us and, you know, we must have whatever. And, uh, and he says, you know, just be more careful, you know, know where your people are. If, you know, luckily we caught up to you and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The, the poor kid that got left behind is like in shambles, like just crying, <laughs> you know. And, um, and, and so gets back in the, in the vehicle. Thank you so much, officer. Thank you. Thank you. And the cop pulls off, never found the kids in the back. The kids all come back and they end their trip and then everybody gets home safe. All right. Now, listen, I was a youth pastor for a long time and I forgot a lot of things, but I've never forgotten a child on a trip. I've never done that. I came close one time, just one time, and he will not let me live it down and they're still going to our church, so I won't say anything else about that. But man, I am a forgetful person though. Anybody else with me in the room, you can tend to be pretty forgetful. In fact, I was talking to Deanna the other day and I said, Deanna, you know what? The only time I'm really good at telling stories is when I'm preaching on a stage in front of other people. And she was like, well, why is that? I said, because nobody can correct me with all the details I'm getting wrong because I forget things and just replace them with my own part of the story, you know? Nobody's gonna, okay, let's be honest. Deanna's not gonna correct me with all the things that I'm getting wrong in the stories when I'm up here. There's too much respect in the room. I'm just, I can tend to be a, a forgetful person. Um, you know, I forget, you know, names. I'm terrible with names. I'm awful with names. And so if I've met you for the first time, I've probably told you that. And in fact, most of you in this room, first time I met you, I probably said, asked for your name. And then I said, I'm really bad with names, so I'm gonna forget it. So just remind me, or if I say your name over and over and over and over again, I'm not crazy, but well, maybe. But I, that's not why I'm doing it. You know, I'm doing it to try and remember. Um, and then there's sometimes when I forget on purpose. You ever forgot things on purpose, like selective forgetting, you know? Like I, I have a four-year-old daughter who's obsessed with everything Disney and princess and everything like that. Make no mistake, I know every word to every princess song that has ever been created by the Disney empire, okay? Every single word. But there are some times when I'm around other people, I have to pretend to forget that I know every word to Frozen the whole thing because I want to keep my man card. You understand what I'm saying? The one of the, the people that are not laughing right now, your dad's just like me and you're like, that's a great idea. I have never thought to forget on purpose. But man, we forget 
things all the time, whether it's forgetting to pick up milk on your way home from work or, or you know, you forget to run an errand, you forget to pay a bill, or maybe you forgot a birthday or an anniversary. Gentlemen, please don't do that. But we forget things, don't we? We're very forgetful about things. And, and those are trivial things most of the time. Those are little things. Those are fun things to talk about. But the reality is, is that we don't just forget about things, do we? There are some times in our life when we forget about people. And that's when it starts to get serious. That's when it starts to hurt our feelings. And more specifically, when we feel like we are forgotten by someone, that is when we have a really tough time. Because you see, for us, I think we put so much of our value, so much of our self-worth of, of who we are into other people and what they think about us. Where we rank on, on somebody else's priority list is, is absolutely determining a lot of times for us our self-worth, how we see ourselves. And so when we feel like someone has forgotten us, it can really, really sting. Like maybe for some of you, it, it has to do with, with an employer, with a job, and, and you worked really, really hard, and you did everything that you were supposed to do to get that promotion, and somebody else leapfrogged over you and got that promotion because of office politics, because they're related to somebody, whatever the reason why, they got it instead of you, and you got forgotten by your employer. That stings, that hurts. Or maybe it wasn't even you were looking for a promotion. Maybe it's your job, you're just looking for a little bit of recognition. Like, hey, every once in a while, if the boss man would just say, I'm doing a good job, that would be fine with me. But somebody else gets the recognition or, or your immediate boss takes credit for something that you did and his boss gets, you know, he gets all the, the glory from his boss and you get nothing at all and, and you, you feel forgotten and that stings. Or maybe for you, you're looking for a job right now and you can't find one, nothing, nobody's calling back, you're not getting any interviews, nothing's happening. And you just feel like everywhere that you put in an application, or put in your resume, they're just forgetting you as soon as you email that thing out, it's forgotten. You just feel forgotten. And maybe for some of you, it's, it's in your relationships. It's a, a group of friends that you've been friends with for a long time and you found out that maybe they've been planning some things without you and they've gone out to eat a couple times and they didn't invite you and you feel forgotten by that. Or they start to have some inside jokes that you don't know about and, and they start you know, cracking those jokes in front of you and, and you get this feeling like, oh man, am I being forgotten? Am I, am I being pushed outside of this little circle? And maybe for some of you, it has to do with your spouse. Maybe your spouse, you feel like, is starting to lose some interest in you, and, and, and they're, they're starting to what you feel like is forgetting you, and that can be tough to deal with. Maybe for some of the single people in the room, it, it's not that you, you know, maybe you're looking for that spouse. You're looking for that person, and, and you've just been looking and looking and looking, and nothing's been feeling right, and, and you haven't gotten any good dates, and, you know, uh, you've tried everything that you could try, and, and it's just not working, and you feel like, oh, man, I, I, I guess I'm just forgotten out here. Maybe... For some of you, it's, it's kids, like your kids are getting older and they want you to drop them off farther away from the entrance of the mall when you go because they don't wanna see you know, them with you know, mom and dad. And so you're feeling like, oh man, my kids are getting more independent. I feel like I'm, I'm being forgotten here. It's a tough thing. It's a tough, tough thing to feel forgotten. And maybe some of you walked in here today and you felt like, man, I have been completely forgotten by God. Whatever the circumstances were before you walked in this room today and whatever you're gonna face when you walk out of here, you just feel like God has completely forgotten about you. And if we're really honest with ourselves, which I know is not the easiest thing to do in church, right? But if we're really honest with ourselves, maybe that's where you're at today. You just feel forgotten. If that's the word that you could sum it up with, that would be it. I feel forgotten. Maybe you're not there right now, but you have been. Or maybe if you're not there right now or you never have been, you probably will be. And, and I believe that, that when we feel those moments in our life, that, that there's an opportunity to respond the right way. And when we do, I believe that God can bless us. And so that's what I want to focus on today. If you've forgotten, you're in the right place today. If you feel forgotten by anybody, you are in the right place today. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 37 in your Bible. We're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to read 
quite a few verses today, but we're going to go through them, and I think it's important for us to try and hit on a lot of these to give us some context in the story. Genesis 37 and 18, and, and to give you the backstory before we get into here, we're, we're reading about the life of Joseph. Joseph is a character in the Bible that probably a lot of you are familiar with. It's Joseph with a coat of many colors, as, as we learned about in Sunday school coming up. Joseph was the second youngest of 12 brothers. He had 10 older brothers than him, and they were all half-brothers. Uh, he, was, he was Jacob, his father's favorite son, and Jacob made that very apparent, very obvious, by giving him this, this very ornate, this very expensive coat. Basically, this coat of many colors signified that one day, Joseph was going to rule this whole tribe of, of the, his family, basically. So there's 10 older brothers that didn't get the nod from dad, but Joseph, one of the younger ones, gets, you know, dad is always out there. He's my favorite. He's my favorite. He's my favorite. He gives him this jacket. And so you can imagine a little bit of animosity. Anybody ever have any sibling rivalry going on? Yeah, that's what's happening in, in, these, in these verses right here. And so the, bro the brothers are envious. And then on top of all that, God starts giving dreams to Joseph about how his family is going to bow down to him. And Joseph, being young and maybe a little naive, starts telling his family, hey, guess what, guys? Guess what I dreamed last night? You guys are all going to bow down to me. They already hate him. And so that didn't help anything. And so animosity is just building up and building up and building up to the point where we're going to start here in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 37. But they saw him in the distance. This is talking about all of his brothers. They saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. That's how bad it got. Verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other, which I think is interesting because God was giving Joseph dreams. And there's always going to be people in your life when God gives you a dream to do something bigger uh, that, that are just going to be haters, people that are just going to want to tear your dream down. And honestly, mostly it's just jealousy because God's not giving them any dreams because they're not proving themselves faithful. That's a whole nother sermon. That was free. Verse 20, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into the one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, which is one of his older brothers, heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. It was the first thing. That was, that's very significant. Stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25, as they sat down to eat their meal. How messed up is that? They just threw their, their brother into the cistern and they're, they're trying to figure out if they're going to kill him or, or do something with him, but they're hungry, so they eat. That's messed up. That just gives you an idea of the, the mentality of these guys. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, change of heart completely, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. He was ready to kill him five seconds ago, and then he saw dollar signs in his eyes and said, wait a second, if we sell him, we can make some money on this whole thing, and we get rid of him at the same time. His brothers agreed, so they're not much better. Verse 28, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal 
has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. And then in verse 36, where we're going to finish up today, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And so what we have here is the story of Joseph, who really, besides being a little naive and maybe could have held back on telling his brothers and his family that they were going to bow down to him one day because God told him so, really is innocent in this whole thing and gets sold off. And, and his father's mourning him. The brothers, he's basically... They believe that they're never going to see him again. Dad thinks he's dead, and so he is about to be forgotten by his family, by, the, by his brothers, by his father, by his mother. Everybody either believes he's dead or knows that he's far gone, and so he starts to be forgotten. And then what, what started as this, like, I'm the favorite of, of the family to I'm now a slave, he ends up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is a very influential, very important person in Egypt. And, and you know, Joseph, just by being himself, kind of works his way up in Potiphar's house, and, and really Potiphar kind of leaves everything up to Joseph to make decisions on, on stuff that happens in his house. He becomes a person of influence in that place. But Potiphar's wife notices him because the Bible says that Joseph's a pretty good looking guy. And so she wants to um, hang out with Joseph. Joseph doesn't want to hang out. He runs out. She tries to force him. He, she, he runs out of the room and she grabs his cloak as he's running. Here's what I'm thinking though. Joseph just really needs to stop wearing jackets, man, because the first one got him sold into slavery. The second one got him in big trouble because what happened is he was running out, trying to do the right thing, getting away from this woman. She keeps his cloak. She yells rape and then he gets thrown into jail because Potiphar believes his wife. And so he, he gets thrown into jail now. So now he's been forgotten by his family and now he's forgotten by Potiphar who he'd gained good graces with. And now he's in a jail where people really go to get forgotten. While he's there, he moves up the ranks and jailers actually make him in charge of other inmates. And, and there's these two guys that come in. One was the baker for the king and then the other one was the cupbearer for the king and they both had dreams. Couldn't figure out what the dreams meant. So they came and they were just talking about him one day. Joseph said, hey, God can interpret dreams. Tell me what they were. And he interprets the dreams. Good news for the cupbearer. He was going to make it and get back into the king's palace. The baker, not so much. He was going to get killed. Both things happened. And so now the cupbearer is like, oh man, this guy helped me out. He's, and he basically told Joseph, listen, when I get out of here, because of this dream you've interpreted, I'm hooking you up. You're coming out with me, man. I'm gonna get you out of jail. I'm springing you free. And the Bible actually literally says that when the cupbearer got out of jail, he completely forgot about Joseph who was rotting away in prison. He was forgotten again. So now family, Potiphar and the cupbearer, nobody is remembering Joseph in this whole thing. You talk about being forgotten. This guy is completely forgotten. He is off the map. Nobody knows anything about him or what he is or what he's doing. He's just there kind of eking out an existence until one day, Pharaoh, the king, the big dog, has a dream. He can't figure out what the dreams are. And so he goes to all of his people. His people can't figure out what the dreams are either. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer, two years later, says, oh, wait a second, I know this guy. He got me out of prison. You should talk to Joseph. And so Joseph interprets the dreams, comes true, and the dreams are all about saving the nation. He says there's going to be seven years of good I mean, uh, of good crops. And so in those seven years, you need to put somebody in charge to collect all these crops. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. So in those seven years of famine, you have plenty of food and then you can actually sell them and make some money. He had all this, this kind of stuff as he is interpreting this dream. Pharaoh said, that's a great idea. You're the guy for the job. And he puts him just underneath Pharaoh. So Joseph goes from being the favorite son to being a slave, to being a, a, a pretty important slave, to being in jail, and then being right underneath the most important person in the entire world of Egypt. And so 
as, as all this stuff is happening and the famine goes on, his family starts running out of food. They come into Egypt. They come and see Joseph, even though they didn't know it was Joseph. And Joseph is in a position of authority and power to save his family. It's a huge, big story that takes up chapters in the Bible. And I hope I haven't cheapened it by trying to tell it to you that quickly. But I think knowing all of that puts things in context for us this morning, because we look at Joseph's life and we can see the whole thing come full circle to where he's back in, in good graces. But in the meantime, man, he has had all of this time where he was completely forgotten by people around him. And I think that in Joseph's life, we can find some things that apply to our lives when we think we're forgotten as well. So the first thing I think that we can learn from Joseph's story, from Joseph's life, is this, is that God was with him. When he was forgotten, God was with him. In fact, it says specifically in Genesis 39 and verse 2, this is after he became Potiphar's slave, he said, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. In verse uh, 21 of, of chapter 39, it says, after he was thrown, uh, this is after he was thrown into prison, I'm sorry, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. You see, in the middle of these times in Joseph's life when he was completely forgotten, and he may have even felt maybe like he was completely forgotten by God, God was with him. It was very specific in the word of God that God was with him. The Lord was with him. And maybe you walked in here today feeling like you were been forgotten by man and you've been forgotten by God, God is with you this morning. You may have been forgotten by everybody else, but God has not forgot about you this morning. God knows exactly where you are. God has not lost track of you. He doesn't have to look up GPS to come find you because he's looking for you one day. God knows where you are. He has not left you. He's not forsaken you. He knows everything about you. The hairs on your head are counted, which is easier for some of us than others, but he knows where you are. You are not forgotten when it comes to God. The only forgetting that God does is when he chooses to forgive and forget your sin when you ask and accept the forgiveness. That's the only kind of forgetting that God can do is when he forgets the sin that you committed in your life. That's the only time that God is ever going to forget. He's not going to forget about you. He's not going to forget about where you are. He's not going to forget about the things that are important to you and the things that you love. He loves you and you are on his mind. He is not lost track of you. I feel like if nothing else, somebody needed to hear that today. I feel like if you walked in here feeling forgotten, knowing that God is with you will change the game. You are walking in here maybe feeling forgotten, but you can walk out knowing that God is with you. Amen? Something else that I see in, in Joseph's life besides the fact that God was with him when everybody else forgot about him, God didn't forget about him, is that being forgotten allowed God to put him in position. And it may not seem like that, but let's think about this story of Joseph. When Joseph was forgotten by his family, his brothers sold him off into slavery and dad thinks he's dead and so everybody's forgetting about him. What, what happened there? It got him out of a position where he was living with people that were trying to kill him. That's a bad environment to be in, right? And so by being forgotten by those people, by those individuals in his life, God was getting him out of a terrible situation. Not just getting him out of a bad situation, but putting him in a really good one where he went to Potiphar's house and he was a, a slave, yes, but man, he, he was, he was in, in good standing with his, with his master. And so he had a, a, lot of, um, a, a lot of privileges as well. And so God was, was putting him in a position, getting him out of a bad place, putting him in a good place. And then he goes to jail. Potiphar sends him to jail. Well, what happened there? He got him out of a bad place because there was a woman after him all the time that was gonna take him down and ruin him and his testimony, his reputation. Got him out of that house, got him into prison, which doesn't really seem like an upgrade but he was able to start interpreting dreams again in prison. And so when he was interpreting dreams, it kind of put him back on the map for some people. And then, this is the hard one to see through, when he gets forgotten by the cupbearer, the cupbearer goes back to the king, he goes back to his normal life, he says, 
Joseph, I'm going to hook you up. And he forgets about Joseph completely. It's another two years that Joseph spends in prison waiting to get out. It's another two years. But think about what might have happened. Let's say that the cupbearer went out and right away, he says, listen, Pharaoh, this guy, Joseph, he interpreted my dream. He's really good at it. He helped me out. Can you get him out of prison? Pharaoh grants a pardon. He gets out scotch-free. He's going to have to go and try and figure out what to do with his life now because he's not going to go back and serve anybody else. He's going to probably wander around and try and eke out an existence doing something. And so instead of that, because he's forgotten by man, God can put him in a position two years later when Pharaoh has a dream, because he had to wait for two years to Pharaoh to have the dream, that he's able to come out. And when he comes out of prison, he just doesn't come out as just some convict coming out with some freedom. He comes out as the number two guy in all of the land. That's a pretty big promotion, I would think. And so even when on the surface, Joseph gets forgotten by his family and everybody else around him, God is using those times in his life to put him into a position to be promoted. Could it be that when we are forgotten by man, that it's God putting us in a position to be promoted in our life? Could it be that if you are in this room today and you feel like somebody has forgotten about you completely, could it be that in the middle of that state that you're in, where somebody has forgotten about you, that God is getting you into a place that's gonna be better than what you thought? If you've been looked over at your job, somebody else got that promotion, Maybe it's because God's got something better for you down the line and you wouldn't even know what it is if you didn't get forgotten the first time. See, the problem with us, though, is that we have a hard time seeing the entire whole picture in front of us. You see, God's plan for us is, is, is it's, it's huge. And, and I've heard it said a lot that if, if God unraveled and showed you the whole entire plan that he has for your life right now, it would freak you out and send you running for the hills because you can't do it. You can't do it by yourself. And, and that's exactly true. And so what God chooses to do then is he gives us one step at a time where he'll show us little things by little things by little things. And he expects us to move one step at a time with him, obey him one step at a time. And so when, when we encounter things in life, sometimes it's difficult because we can only see the next step. Joseph, when he gets sold into slavery, he couldn't see the next step where he was going to become a pretty important person in Egypt. He couldn't see that next step. It's like, I, I wear these glasses, and, and I'll, I'll put this rumor to rest because apparently this is a thing around here. I don't wear these to look cool, okay? Somebody asked sometime, because Pastor Rocky was wearing his glasses one day, and, and, and he, he hardly ever wears his glasses, and so somebody came up to him and said, oh, I, I like your glasses. Now, do you need those, or are you just wearing them to look cool like Pastor Andrew, which I was extremely offended by, because I look cool without my glasses too, okay? <laughs> Let's get that straight. But I need these things. I've been wearing glasses or contacts since fourth grade, and I'm telling you, man, you do not want me to not have these on, okay? It is not good for anybody else, including myself. I will hurt myself, and I will hurt somebody else if I'm not wearing some kind of corrective lenses, right? But when I have these on, I can see everything perfectly in this room. As soon as I take these glasses off, the, oh yeah, it gets bad. I see blobs. That's all that I see. That's it. I see, I can see very clearly this step and the next step and all the way actually down, it gets, starts getting fuzzy down there. And then I can tell who's on the front row, some third row. I have no idea who you are. I have no idea what the signs say in the back of the room. That's how that's the struggle is real. This is my life. Okay. 
So I can't see those things. I can't see the things in the back. All those things way off in the distance are really blurry. All I can see right here is this. This is all that makes sense to me is directly what's in front of me. And a lot of times when we're forgotten, that's all we see is the hurt, the injustice, all of the bad stuff that comes with it because it's right here in front of us and we can't see past that to what God's plan really is. If you step back and see the big picture and put on God's glasses for just a moment, you're gonna see if you've been forgotten today, then maybe that's God putting you in a position and later on, even though you can't see it, he's going to promote you. He's going to advance you. And when he does it, it's going to be in a way that only you are going to be able to glorify him. If man promotes you, it's easy to pat ourselves on the back, isn't it? If somebody gives you a promotion at work, you're like, oh man, I did all this work. I'm so awesome. But if somebody forgets about you, if your boss forgets about you and you still get a promotion, then that's all God, right? Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing is living this life so we can turn that glory and that praise back to him? The Bible actually says in Genesis chapter 45 and 5, this is after his family, Joseph's family, comes back to him because they're starving and they're in the middle of this famine and they all bow down to him because the dream was true. They all bow down to him because they, are, are, they don't recognize who he is and, and, and there's this whole exchange where he kind of messes with them for a little while and he kind of doesn't let them know who he is for a bit and kind of strings them along. But then finally he lets them in on the secret and says, listen, I'm Joseph, come closer. Come, come. You can see me, come closer. I'm Joseph. And, and then he starts having this dialogue with them and they feel terrible, obviously, because they were gonna kill him. So you'd feel bad if you saw the person that you were gonna kill and then sold into slavery. It's just a natural reaction, right? So they start feeling bad, and this is what he says to him in Genesis 45 and 5. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You talk about seeing the big picture. These guys years ago were going to kill him. These guys years ago sold him into slavery and started this whole downhill spiral that he was on. But you see, Joseph put on the glasses he saw further than just what was right in front of him. And instead of just being focused on the injustice, instead of just being focused on being forgotten all the time, he saw that there was a bigger plan in this whole thing to the point where it's not just like, all right, I know God's got something in here. It's to the point where, hey, I know God allowed this to happen. How would your life look right now? The relationships in your life where you feel forgotten, what would change if you walked out of this room today and you said, you know what, God? I know you got a reason for it. Even if I don't know what it is, God, you allowed this to happen for a reason. Help me to see. Help me to see the big plan. Help me to see further than just what my human eyes can see because God is setting you up for a promotion. He's getting you into position. When people forget about you, when you are forgotten, God can promote you. The other thing and the last thing I wanna mention today is when he was forgotten, this is the tough one. When he was forgotten, he forgave. See, all this other stuff sounds really great. You know what I mean? It's like, oh man, when I'm forgotten, I'm being promoted. That's awesome. That's walk out of the room pumped up stuff right there. You know, when everybody else, God's not forgotten me. Yeah. Wait, forgive. That's something I got to do. Hold up. Time out. I wasn't in on that whole thing. Like that's, that's, that's on me now, Pastor Andrew. What are you doing to me, man? I was all encouraged and excited and now I have to do something? No, Joseph had to choose to forgive everybody that forgot about him. Because if not, he was going to hold on to the bitterness, which is a natural reaction. When we're hurt, when we're offended, when we're forgotten, the natural thing to do, the first thing that comes up is just to be bitter about it, right? That's just natural. The problem is normal responses get normal results. And so if you're bitter about it, that's a normal response, but you're going to get normal results. You're going to be bitter for a long time, and you're going to get passed over, and you're not going to see the vision that God has for your life. But supernatural responses... 
they get supernatural results. A supernatural response to being hurt and being forgotten is to forgive. And when we forgive, then supernatural things can happen in our lives. When we forgive the person, we can then see the purpose. That person that has forgot you in your life, when you forgive them, you can see clearly. When, date, or when uh, Joseph for, forgave his family, he could see the whole thing in clear, plain sight. God allowed this to happen because I could save a bunch of people. There was a movie that came out a couple months ago, and, and I had read the book uh, about this, the biography, and it's, it's called Unbroken. Maybe some of you have seen the movie, and, and if you've seen the movie, I recommend that you read the book. The book is a lot better than the movie. They left a lot of stuff out of the movie, but if you're unfamiliar, I'll just give you the, the Cliff's Notes version. This guy named Louis Zamperini was a, an Olympic athlete back in the 30s, and, and uh, when World War II broke out, he joined the service. He was an officer in the military, and, and he, he flew in planes. He was a, um, a navigator on a bomber. And uh, on May 27th, 1943, he and his crew were up in the air over the Pacific Ocean, and they were on a search and rescue mission trying to find another plane that had gone down to try and save these men that went down into the Pacific. And while they were uh, in the air, they got shot down, and they ended up, only three of them surviving the actual crash. They were in two life rafts in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and nobody knew where they were. And so they're just floating and floating and floating. Two of them survived, one passed away at sea. But for 46 days, these two guys floated just out there, having to fend off sharks, having to fend off planes from the enemy that were coming in and just, just littering their rafts with, with bullets, trying to sink them, trying to kill them. And finally, they get to a place where they can start to see some land. They, they survived on catching you know, fish and rainwater and, and maybe a bird or two would land on the boat and they, they'd snag that up. They just were barely surviving. They saw some land off in the distance and before they could get there, there was this huge Japanese ship that got in between them and the land and they scooped them up and put them in a prisoner of war camp for the next almost two and a half years of this guy's life. He was in a prisoner of war camp. They knew that he was an Olympic athlete. Somehow they found that out, and so they made an example of him. They beat him, they tortured him. All kinds of medical experiments were done on him. And after the war was over, he was freed and he came back home. He got married, tried to settle down and deal with all of the, the stuff that had happened to him in the only way that he knew how, and so he picked up a bottle and he became abusive and his wife was done. So she was about to, to walk out of the house. She had everything packed up. And as one last ditch effort, she invited him to go with her to this tent crusade that was happening in Los Angeles with a young guy named Billy Graham that was preaching that night in 1949. So he gets in this tent meeting and, and the guy's preaching and he gives the altar call like only Billy Graham can give an altar call. And Louis Zamperini gets up, he walks to the aisle and he's about to beeline outside because he's done. He's like, this stuff is not for me, whatever. And he remembers when he was on the boat. He remembers when he was in that little life raft and he was clinging to that little bit of life that he had and he made God a promise. He said, God, if you save me from this, I will serve you. And he remembered that. And he turned and instead of going out the back door, he rushed up to the stage. He got saved on that day. And his life was forever changed because now he had to make some decisions. He'd been holding on to bitterness toward these, these captors of his that, that put him through all of this, this just, I mean, hell on earth is what it was for him. 
And he had it in his mind that he was going to get back at him, specifically one guard. In fact, he tried to raise money. He tried to do fundraisers to raise enough money to fly to Japan to find this guy so that he could strangle him with his bare hands. That's his words. That's how, that's how much hate and bitterness he had in his life. And as he started to grow in his relationship with Christ little by little, it started to chip away at some of that bitterness and some of that hatred. And he finally got to a place where he could start forgiving. He actually made a trip to Japan that ended up happening. And he went back to the prison camp where he was held. But instead of going there to try and find somebody to kill, he found the guards that held him captive that were now prisoners in that camp. And he went and extended forgiveness to every single one of those guards that had hurt him every single one of those guards that had tortured him, every single one of those guards that had oppressed him, he forgave them. And the story blew up. It was everywhere, all over the place. They wrote a book about it. They wrote a movie, or they, they made a movie about it. All of this stuff is all out there because once he got to the place where he could forgive, then God could use him to do big things. Then God showed him the whole big picture. Until we forgive, all we know is that we've just been forgotten. Until we forgive the person who forgot us, then we still feel like the victim. But maybe God is using that to give you a platform. Maybe you've been forgotten today. But if you choose to forgive, God can use you to impact way more people and do way bigger things and be blessed in so many more ways than you could ever imagine on your own. Pastor Andrew, that's easy to talk about for you. <clears throat> Talking about forgiveness and all that stuff, but you don't know what I've been through. You're right. I don't. I don't have a clue. But here's what I know. If you're in the room today and you're saying, I can't forgive so-and-so because I've been forgotten by them. How am I supposed to forgive somebody that forgot about me the way that they did? I know one thing about Jesus is that he forgave me when I forgot about him. Long before I ever decided to turn my life over to him, he hung on a cross for me. Long before I ever decided to accept that forgiveness, he extended that forgiveness. When he wasn't even a thought in my mind, he forgave me. He did it for me. He's done it for so many people in this room and if you haven't accepted it, he'll do it for you today. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.